Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Wow, I know that was intense, wasn't it? Uh, Listen, we are in week three of our summer series called At the Movies. And if you're new to Coastal, uh, the idea for the series is very simple. Uh, We just use current or popular movies uh, as a hook uh, to talk about spiritual stuff. Now, as I was preparing this week for today's message, uh, I couldn't help but think about how our culture portrays what a real man is in the movies. The movies. Now, what are some of the more manly movies that you maybe have seen in the last 25 years or so? In fact, if you're watching online, uh, maybe leave us a little comment of some of your favorite uh, man's movies that you've seen. I think of a few that come to mind, uh, you know, the Die Hard movies. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's been in a bunch of them, you know, Rambo and Rocky, of course. And then some of my favorites are Gladiator and Braveheart. Uh, This morning, I was outside, one of the guys mentioned uh, Tombstone. Uh, all these uh, men's movies. Now, if we're honest, when we think of what it means to be a real man, many times, you know, these are the types of movies, these, these are the types of portrayal, you know, that comes to mind. But seldom, seldom if ever, when we think of being a real man, do we think about being a follower of Jesus, You know, somebody who is uh, active in the church, somebody who's a a leader in the church. In fact, for a lot of people today, uh, they actually see following Jesus as just the opposite of manly. You know, kind of a a, a not a very manly way uh, to live. In fact, a number of years ago, there was a book that came out called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And uh, the book documents why so few men attend church as compared to women. And it talks about how the church fails to challenge men and uh, seldom speaks to uh, the things that men are most passionate about. And how many men think that they've got to be, you know, less than a man uh, to be a Christian. That somehow they've got to give up their masculinity to follow Jesus. Well, today I want to challenge that. And I want to challenge your perception of what it means to follow Jesus. The truth is... An awful lot of people, and maybe uh, some of you here today, some of you watching online, you've got this picture of Jesus in your minds that looks like it was torn out of the pages of a children's Bible. You know, that, that Jesus somehow is, is some sort of a, an effeminate, sheep-carrying, you know, sissy man or something. And, and basically, if that's your picture of Jesus, there's no guy, no dude, you know, growing up sees that picture, thinks about that and says, oh yeah, when I grow up, I want to be like that. I think it's time that you get a new picture, a new image, a clear picture of Jesus. Because the Jesus that I read about in Scripture, I believe, was a complete man. You know, he was a man's man. This is a guy who uh, worked with his hands. You know, he was a carpenter. Uh, He flipped over tables and cleared out the temple uh, with, with a whip because he was so outraged. He called people out. He stood up for what he believed in. But he also regularly spent time alone in prayer with the Father. He loved children. He called you know, children uh, to his teaching. And when, when his disciples tried to you know, push them away, Jesus scolded them and brought them to him. He made time for the outcast of his day, caring for and healing those that culture and society had kind of cast aside. 
We also know that he carried a cross, a, a huge you know, tree on his shoulders up a hill called Calvary, and he hung on it. He took a beating the likes of which you and I could hardly fathom, and he died for your sins and mine. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Men, you were made in that image. You were not made to be a passive wimp, but you were also not made to be a macho maniac either. You see, the reality is, is we've got to stop, you know, letting ourselves uh, you know, shrink down into the mold of what our culture says a man should be and instead look to our model of Jesus. Listen, don't let anybody revoke your man card, right? You're, you're not a coward. You're not weak. You are created in the image of Almighty God. Jesus was the most complete man to ever walk the earth. And you see, when, when you give your life to God, you are not becoming less of a man. Actually, what's happening is you are, you are opening your life up to the possibility of becoming a real man, the kind of man that God created you to be. In fact, look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When you become a follower of Jesus... God does not make you timid or weak or less of a man. In fact, just the opposite is true. He fills you with his power, love, and self-discipline. Now, today, as a part of this series, the movie that I want us to use as a, as a springboard, uh, as kind of a setup to talk about a few things, is definitely kind of you know, more of a man's movie. Uh, it, it is the movie 1917. Raise your hand if you saw the movie. Anybody here in the room see the movie 1917? Okay, a few. It's a, it's a movie worth watching. I mean, it was both a critical and financial success. It won all kinds of awards. Uh, if you like war movies, this is the movie to see. Now, people ask, well, is it a, is it a true story? Well, the movie is based in part on an actual account told to Sam Mendez. Sam Mendez is the writer, director, and producer of the movie. And this story was told to him by his paternal grandfather. And it tells the story of these two young British soldiers during the First World War who are ordered to deliver a message that will call off an attack uh, doomed to fail soon after the German retreat. Now, you see, what's happened is they've discovered that it's really not a retreat by the Germans, it's a trap. And it's going to kill thousands unless they can get them this message. And the message is especially important to one of the soldiers that's been chosen to deliver the message because his brother is due to take part in the attack. Now, I'm not going to tell you any more of the story. I don't want to give the movie away to you. But it's an intense movie. And it talks about heroism and, and uh, bravery. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to look at the life of a real-life biblical war hero, a guy by the name of David. In fact, if you read Scripture, this guy David lived a life that really makes movies look pretty tame. You know, movies like Rambo and Die Hard and, and Braveheart. And, and when you look at David, what I want you to understand this morning is that he truly was a complete man. You know, he was, he was a man's man. He was a warrior, but he also had a very artistic side. 
But most importantly, here's what the Bible says about him. He was a man after God's own heart. That's what I want us to talk about today. What does that look like? What are some of the characteristics of that? Look at Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. If you're taking notes online, if, you, if you've got the ability to underline something, underline that phrase, circle that phrase, highlight it. A man after my own heart. What that means to me is that David was pleasing to God. That David represented and embodied the characteristics that reflected the very heart and nature of God. So that's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. Four characteristics, four examples from the life of David that make him a man worth following, a man worth emulating, a man that was pleasing to God, okay? Number one, recognize my God-given potential to change the world. Recognize my God-given potential to change the world. Now, let me set the scene for you in this first uh, example from the life of David. Israel's first king, Saul, was disobedient. And God is fed up, uh, you know, up to here with Saul, and he's ready to find a new king. And so he sends the prophet Samuel to find the next king of Israel. Now Samuel didn't know exactly who he was looking for, but he was told that he's going to find the next king from within one of the sons of a man by the name of Jesse. Okay? So follow along as I read 1 Samuel chapter 16. When they arrived... Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now stop there just for a second. Obviously, you know, Samuel comes on the scene and the sons come out and he sees this one son, the oldest son. I'm sure he must have been tall and broad. I mean, he, he had the look. And if there is a, a verse of scripture that stands out to us today, that we should be affected by today, it is this one. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we need to become a little bit more like that, don't we? Let's continue. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord's not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Kind of sounds like Pastor Chris, doesn't it? And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Now, it was not until many years later that David actually ascends the throne, that he becomes king. So in the meantime, in the meantime, how did David recognize his God-given potential to change the world? Well, I actually think it was kind of easy. 
Now, this is not a blank on your outline, but you might want to write this one down. He just chose whose voice he was going to listen to. He just chose whose voice he was going to listen to. Now, from the story I just read, it doesn't seem like David had a lot of uh, positive reinforcement at home, does it? I mean, think about it. Did you notice how his own dad and his brothers ignore him? I mean, the dad basically finds out that one of his sons is going to be chosen for the next king, and he doesn't even invite David to the party. You know, David's out with the sheep and goats, the Bible says. Imagine the possible future therapy session for David, right? I mean, this guy really had early on every excuse in the book to play the victim. And yet he didn't. Why? Because David chose to listen to the right voice. He listened to what God said about him. Let me ask you a question. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? David listened to the voice of God and then something significant happened. It says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he changed the world. Let me let, me, let, me let you in on something. Nobody wants to change this world today more than God does. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to work through people, ordinary people, like you and like me. However, for an awful lot of us, this is not our reality. We find ourselves struggling through the daily monotony of life, you know, just, just the grind of life, kind of missing out on, you know, the adventurous life that maybe we once dream of, dreamed of, and we say, well, you know, it is what it is. My life is what it is. It's kind of boring, insignificant, and meaningless. Maybe one day. And we live in that kind of reality. Men, listen to me. God did not design you or wire your life to be this, you know, boring life of, of insignificance. He wants to change the world through you, one life at a time. If, if you have not realized this, if you've not realized your God-given potential to change the world lately, maybe, just maybe, it's because you've not been connected to God lately and you're listening to the wrong voices. Stop playing the victim. Stop making excuses. Be a real man and listen to God's voice and what he says about you. Stop making excuses and change the world. You say, well, how do I do that? You change the world by giving your life away in service to other people. You change this world by loving and serving your wife. You change the world by showing your children what does a godly man look like. And, and you, you talk about your faith when they rise, when they go to sleep, when they walk about. You change the world by loving your neighbor, all neighbors, and inviting your friends to church. You change the world by loving and serving the world around you. Second characteristic of a man after God's own heart is this. Have the courage to take on God-sized challenges. God-sized challenges. There's no doubt men love challenges. You know, David faced some, uh, some pretty big challenges in his life. Perhaps the one that we're most all familiar with is his confrontation with Goliath. David was still just a teenager when an entire army was halted in fear by one giant of a man named Goliath. When everybody else cowered, David stepped up 
and he embraced the challenge. We pick up with the story uh, with a conversation between Saul and David after David has decided now to face the giant Goliath. Listen to what it says. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. Let me stop there one more time. Again, guys, whose voice are you going to listen to? What the world says about you, what culture says about you, or what the word of God says. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And with that, David walked right out onto the battlefield, took his sling, and hit Goliath with a stone right in the middle of his forehead and killed him instantly. I want to be that kind of man. Don't you? I want to face the challenges of this day head on. And I want to listen to God's voice, not what everybody else is saying, but what does God's word say about me and the world in which we're living? And I want to have this this unwavering confidence in God with no fear of life or death. What God-sized challenges are you facing today? You know, maybe this week you discovered that you're the odd man out at work and you are gripped with fear as you consider the possibility of losing your job. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and you know this person isn't the one, but you've crossed the line physically and you know what you should do, but you don't have the courage to do it. Maybe you're married and things started out great. But somehow over time now, you've just been existing, living like roommates. And you don't have the courage to step up and do the right thing. Maybe you got a call from your doctor this week and they found the spot. Your giant might be named depression. Your giant might be named lust or pornography. The giant in your life that you need to slay might be racism. Maybe it's fear. You see, when it comes to God-sized challenges, the best way, just like David, is to face them head on. You know, so often, your worry about the issue is actually greater than the issue itself. The armies of Israel basically said, hey, Goliath is too big to fight. And David said, Goliath is too big to miss. Who are you more like? You see, have the courage to face it head on, knowing that God will be with you. You're not alone. And it all comes down to a choice. Am I going to keep living in fear? Am I going to cower in fear? Or am I going to courageously step forward and be a man and accept this God-sized challenge? So men, recognize your God-given potential to change this world. Have the courage to take on God-sized challenges. And the third characteristic of a man after God's heart is this. Exercise self-control. A real man exercises self-control. Self-control means discipline. 
It means controlling the uh, desires or urges for immediate gratification in order to receive something greater, a bigger blessing in the long run. By the way, it's also one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look at Galatians chapter 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. In other words, when we are living with the Holy Spirit, He indwells us, but when we cooperate with Him, look at the fruit He produces in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? What's it say? What's that last one? Self-control. Now, later in his life as a young man, after David kills Goliath, David becomes this national hero, okay? He's not king yet, but everybody wants him to become king instead of Saul. And so, of course, this makes Saul very, very jealous, so much so that he basically dedicates the rest of his life to killing David, okay? So this is where our story picks up. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Yes, that's exactly what the Bible says. Okay, that's why I love Scripture. He went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power now to do as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Wow. David exercised self-control. He held back from killing Saul when, when everything, and by the way, and everyone you know, was, was, was talking to him saying, hey, this is it. This is your opportunity. You can become king. After all, you know, he's trying to kill you. So, I mean, he would have been justified, right? Wrong. Murder is still sin. Evil is never a justification for evil. It's not. And, and if David had not practiced self-control, he would have ended up losing everything, losing the respect of a nation, and most importantly, by the way, he would have lost the blessing of God. And we know that to be true because we actually see the lack of self-control played out in a very dark time in David's life later on. One day, while he's king, he's actually out on his rooftop, and he sees a woman, a wife of another man, bathing naked. And instead of looking the other way, he keeps looking. And instead of forgetting about it, he calls her over. And instead of just having a conversation with her and, and, and sending her on her way, he commits adultery. When she got pregnant, he tries to cover it up by murdering her husband. He failed to exercise self-control. 
And as a result, he lost the blessing of God. He lost the respect of a nation. He ends up uh, having his family and his kingdom torn away from him. Men, listen up. When we refuse to exercise self-control in the most important areas of our lives, we stand to lose everything. Men, when you're tempted to have sex with that woman, it might bring you immediate gratification, but in the long run, it will. It will destroy your family and your reputation, and you will have to look your children in the eye and one day God Almighty in the eye. It will remove God's blessing from your life. When you're tempted to do something unethical at work to get ahead, you know, and so you compromise God's you know, principles to get a promotion. After all, these are bad people and they're doing you know, bad things. And so, but in the long run, what happens? You lose your job, your reputation, your financial security, and God's blessing. Whenever you fail to exercise self-control, there is always, always a price to pay. And David found that out the hard way. Men pray that God would give you the strength to be a man, a real man, of self-control and of discipline. So to be a man after God's heart, recognize your God-given potential to change this world. Have the courage to take on God-sized challenges. Exercise self-control. And finally, number four, trust God for my success. Trust God for my success. Here's the truth about these particular characteristics of a man after God's own heart that we've been talking about today. They're only found in a man who understands that his strength and his power and his success, they all come from God, not himself. In a man who knows that apart from God, you can do nothing. Listen, David was not perfect. David had a lot of weaknesses, and he made a lot of mistakes. But through it all, God never left David. And even up to David's death, God still considered him to be a man after his own heart. Why? Because David's faith in God never wavered. David knew. David knew that ultimately his strength came from, from God. His, his greatest successes, uh, and even in his most dismal failures... God never abandoned him. And David relied on and he trusted in God. Not only was David a great warrior, but he was also a great poet and musician. And in the book of Psalms, we find one of the songs that David wrote about his trust in God. It's found in Psalm 33. Listen to this. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. That's what made David a man after God's heart. He recognized that his strength and his success ultimately was found in God, not himself. And without God, David knew it was all for nothing, that his life would end in failure. From the life of David, this is what we discover 
about being a real man. Real strength, real power comes when we surrender our life to God. When we let him come into our life and and transform us. When I trust in him and his strength. You see, sure, you can, uh, you can try to change the world, be courageous, exercise, self-control. You might be able for a time to you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be a self-made man. But the problem with a self-made man is they usually end up worshiping their maker. And we were created to need God, not to be God. Real strength comes from Him. And when you decide to rely on God, God can do more through you in 10 minutes than you can accomplish in a lifetime. And if you are here today, or if you are watching this online, and you have never trusted God with your life, and you have never experienced the strength and the courage and the power and the fulfillment that he offers to all who will follow him, I want to invite you to do that today. Man, let me tell you something. That is the manliest thing that you can do. That is the manliest next step that you could take. And it's easy. You just ask him. You just surrender your life to him. And you ask him to come into your life. And then the supernatural strength becomes available to you. His power, his strength becomes available to you through your surrender. That's what it means to be a real man. I want you to listen to King David's final words to his son. They're recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 2 as David lay on his deathbed. Listen to what he says to Solomon. As the time of King David's death approached, He gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. He says, Solomon, we're all going to die. And that's where I'm going now. But I want you to be courageous and to be a man. Be God's man. Recognize the potential that you really do have to change this world. Have the courage to to take on those God-sized challenges. But but Solomon, exercise self-control. And put your trust and your hope and your faith in God for all of it. Guys, that's a man. Take courage. And be a man. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word. And I thank you for the life of David. I thank you that he was a man after your own heart. And Father, today I pray for the men that are in this room, the men that are watching this online. I pray that they would live a life worthy of your calling in their life. I pray for them as as men, that they would be men of character, men of courage, men of faith. God, I also pray that they would be 
the husbands that you have called them to be, that they would love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. And I, I pray, Father, that they would be the fathers that you have called them to be, that they would lead their families well. And listen, if you are watching this today or if you're here in the room and you are ready to take that next step of surrender, of giving your life to Christ, you can do that right here and right now. There is nothing that you need to do in advance. You don't have to clean up your life before you come to God. He already knows the mess you're in. In fact, he knows it so very well that he was willing to send Jesus Jesus, his one and only son, to this earth to die in your place, to take the payment, the punishment for your sin and for mine. He took it all on his shoulders, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and he is alive. And if you'll just surrender your life to him, you can have forgiveness, a home in heaven. You can have purpose and power for living right here and right now. Just come to him. Pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, today, today I admit it. I have blown it. I am a sinner in need of a Savior, God. I have tried to live as a a self-made man, a self-made woman, but today I bend the knee and I ask Jesus to come into my life to save me from my sin. I ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord, and for the rest of my days, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you see me now, brand new, perfect, clean. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me and saving me. I pray these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.